And a good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Well, believe it or not, the first Star Wars film hit theaters on May 25th of 1977. I remember it because of the year I was married. Uh, so it's always been associated in my mind with very good year. And it became a, a cultural phenomenon. I remember writing about it. I just graduated from uh, Michigan State, but I still occasionally write a column for the, uh, the student newspaper there. And I remember getting into a, a big fight over Star Wars. I'll talk about that a little bit later. But I would never, as much as I enjoyed it, and I found it morally enlivening uh, and spiritually curious, I, I never would have imagined that 40 years later, there'd be an entire Star Wars franchise, which uh, arguably uh, may be the largest uh, Hollywood franchise out there. Well, to talk about Star Wars and its cultural impact, I've asked our friend Stephen Gradanis to join us. Stephen's a permanent deacon in the Catholic Archdiocese of New York. We know him, uh, knew Stephen first as a film critic for the National Catholic Register. He writes regularly still for the Register. And for Catholic Digests, Digesting Crux, he's the co-host of Real Faith for the New Evangelization Television and a longtime member of the Online Film Critics Society. Stephen, good to have you back. Al, it's great to be here. Yeah, uh, I remember Sally and I seeing it. Uh, we didn't see it. I don't think we saw it on our honeymoon. I think we actually saw Rocky on our honeymoon. From That, was the, uh -huh. that had been around, I think, for a year already uh, by that time. But... Uh, I, I do remember loving Star Wars. My first impression is that it was a breath of fresh air. It seemed like a fun movie, and a lot of those 1970, early 1970 movies just didn't, weren't that much fun. There, were a lot of, there was a lot of darkness. And it was also, it took, it took moral power, or the, the power of virtue, seriously, in a, in a very childlike way. And actually, that's what my argument was with this other columnist uh, for the Michigan State paper. Uh, he was talking about it as childish, cartoonish. And I was trying to say, well, look, it's simple, but it's more childlike than it is childish. And I thought the virtue of it was, for me, very enlivening. Uh, now, you're younger than I am, so I'm not sure when you first encountered uh, Star Wars, but I was just out of college. How old were you, roughly? Um, in, in 1977, I was not yet 10 years old, but I do vividly remember seeing the okay. film with my family in the theater for the first time. I have stronger memories of going as a junior high school student to The Empire Strikes Back and then as a high school student to Return of the Jedi. Oh, yeah. And the movies were just defining for me yeah. in a way that other intellectual properties like The Lord of the Rings and even um, Grimm's Fairy Tales ha have mm -hmm. been for, uh, for other generations and for, for, uh, for other people and, and continue to be. And, and I think it's important when we discuss and debate Star Wars to bear in mind not just how well-loved these films are, but how it is that they are loved. This is a point that C.S. Lewis makes in his book, An Experiment in Criticism, and he talks about it elsewhere, too, that there is a way that certain works of art 
touch people that elicit a response that almost goes beyond the ordinary kind of criticism that is very easy for people like me to do to criticize the flatness of the characters or the <laughs> right. cliched dialogue and so right. forth. That's all there. You know, <laughs> but when, when something touches people on a mythic level, you, you have to take a step back from questions like this and say, what is it? that this property does so well for these people that they respond to it so powerfully. Yeah. And it, it may be something good or it may be something bad, but it's not something that you can debunk with the tools that you use to judge the artist's skill in a conventional way. Right. Not, very good. Very good. Uh, it, there was something more going on there because the dialogue was not strong um, in, in the characters were flat. Uh, I think as time went on, they got better. But at least the first time out, I was just surprised at the impact it had on me. And, and it was, um, it, it, it hit a lot of, it wasn't just a cult type of movie. This was a cultural unifier, as you write. And, oh, yes. And that's what I, another thing I loved about it, a wide spectrum of people enjoyed it. Yeah, he was talking, or uh, <laughs> George Lucas was influenced by Tolkien. That was where I was trying to go with that thought. And, and Tolkien also had that kind of across the board factor. He was very much like. Uh, George Lucas, yeah, Tolkien right. wrote his, his stories for himself and for his friends. It was really a product of his own private obsession. But he tapped into things that brought together, you know, the counterculture and academia, uh, the, the mainstream and the margins. And Star Wars had that same kind of unifying power. And, and it, I think it reflects... Uh, something in, in George Lucas's vision that really fused a lot of previously existing material. You know, he, he did draw on Tolkien and, and the Lord of the Rings in Star Wars. He does draw on Arthurian mythology. Mm -hmm. He draws, of course, on uh, previous Hollywood fantasies, the Buck Rogers, Flash Gordon-type space opera. But he also looks east to samurai fiction right. and to wuxia martial arts fiction. Uh, he fuses in American Westerns. Until Star Wars, I would say American Westerns are the preeminent American mythology. Star Wars incorporates them, and in that process of Woody the Cowboy uh, kind of <laughs> riding off into the sunset while Buzz Lightyear rockets into the future, Star Wars became the mythology that replaced the American Western. Yeah, no, that's very good, very good. Uh, what was Lucas's vision? What was he trying to do? It's a hard question to answer precisely because he had so many different influences. And on, on one level, he was, he was a, a techie who uh, saw new things that could be done. Uh, he, he, he appreciated, for instance, the dogfights of uh, World War I and World War II movies, and he was aware that no one had ever put a camera in the cockpit of a spaceship and shown us a first-person experience of what it would be like to run a strafing uh, course down on, on a, on a on an outer space uh, space station mm -hmm, in, in a mm -hmm. spaceship. He figured out a way to do that with computer-controlled movements. He took uh, the depiction of alien uh, ex ex extraterrestrials in a less uh, anthropomorphic and more alien direction than they had been popularly portrayed before. But underlying all of that, I think, is a vision that is genuinely 
mystical and spiritual. I think that just as without the Ark of the Covenant, Raiders of the Lost Ark would not be quite the immense classic that it is. Without the Force, Star Wars would have been uh, an interesting, fun, um, uh, certainly a departure from the tone of much of 1970s cinema, as you suggested mm-hmm. earlier. But it would not have elicited that religious response from people. And I think you have to say that people did respond to Star Wars um, uh, on a religious level. Yeah. And, and, and some, uh, I was an evangelical Protestant at the time, there was a lot of discussion that uh, star, the force in Star Wars was dangerous, that it was a, an explicit rejection of the Trinity. Uh, and yet, uh, and I always wonder, I mean, I guess uh, the, if you're looking at it theologically, you've got all kinds of theological problems. But I, I never found myself especially troubled by that, uh, even though I was a thoroughly Orthodox Protestant at the time. Uh, what do you make of that? The appeal, the, the force is that uh, kind of unifying experience for all the characters. Uh, and yet you, you don't see the triune God there, do you? No. Um, I, I think that the Christian story has shaped the Star Wars arc in many ways. I mean, we have this idea of the Force with the good side and the bad side, right. and someone might see in there a vision of a dualistic right. universe, good and evil locked in combat. And yet, in the end of the story, good and evil don't fight it out to a standstill. Good wins over evil, right. and it wins in a very specific way, through self-sacrificial yes. love and family bonds. Yeah. A son refuses to destroy his father, and he wins his father back from the dark side. And that is an imaginative leap of immense daring. I mean, Darth Vader is a figure of iconic evil, equaled only by the Wicked Witch of the West from <laughs> The Wizard of Oz and Hannibal Lecter. Those oh. three are a kind of iconic, unholy trinity in, in Hollywood. And to take a figure like Darth Vader and redeem him, even if you found Return of the Jedi disappointing because of the Ewoks, you have to admit that's a bold move. It is. It is. And I think maybe there is something implicit about the, the recognition of the triumph of good. Even from the beginning, there was a suspicion that this was going to end in a, a positive way, that... Um, that maybe that's why I wasn't too worried about the the metaphysics of the force. It, it didn't strike me that I was being personally asked to worship this, that this was functioning at a, a very different level than theology. Yeah, you know, I think it's it's fair to say that the Star Wars stories are touched by sub-Christian spirituality in various ways, and even in a very limited way by Gnosticism. I think people have played up the Star Wars as Gnostic right. uh, way angle way too much. It is there when Yoda says, luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. <laughs> right. But, uh, um, I mean, clearly that's, that's a, a Gnostic impulse. But on the other hand, it isn't uh, Buddhist detachment or um, um, anything of that sort that, that triumphs in the end. It's, it's love and, and sacrifice. And Lucas clearly gets that from his Christian influences. He was absolutely influenced by Tolkien, although you can see the limitations, for instance, in the fact that Tolkien was able to imagine Gandalf uh, sacrificing himself and then coming back more powerful than could have been imagined before. Lucas liked that idea, but lacking Tolkien's Catholic spirituality, he was unable to pull it off in a convincing way. Mm -hmm. Very good. Uh, 
is is Yoda? Uh, let's talk about the figure of Yoda for a minute, since we got the wizard figure of Gandalf. Is Yoda a, a, a kind of a Zen master, or is he a great warrior? Uh, is he both? Um, <laughs> well, I guess it depends on which Yoda, doesn't it? I mean, Yoda in um, The Empire Strikes Back is the figure that made the immense impact on our, our cultural consciousness back in 1980. And he speaks in these cone-like riddles, <laughs> right. these backwards-running sentences. Right. And he says things that are sometimes foolish, and but sometimes truly profound. Um as the franchise goes on, particularly in the prequel series, I think his character is diminished by the contracting of Lucas's vision. Uh, so that's that's uh, an unfortunate side effect of continuing the franchise too. Long. Let's yeah, let's come back. Let's come back to that, and that is the the contracting of uh, Lucas's vision. My guest is uh, film critic Stephen Gradanis. I'm Al Preston. There are lots of great ways to stay connected with Ave Maria Radio, like our Poll of the Week. This week, we want to know, has your diocese removed the general dispensation from ASEAN? Let us know now at AveMariaRadio.net. Scroll down on the homepage and click on Poll of the Week. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Spending time with uh, film critic Stephen Gradanis, taking a look at the phenomenon of Star Wars. Uh, it is one of those pop culture giants, uh, not only the movies, of course, but all the paraphernalia, toys, uh, you know, the, um, the clubs, uh, the spinoff of you know, fan books, uh, the continued uh, churning out of material to satisfy the, the fan base. Uh, this kind of thing, we, we're probably going to see it go on. Uh, Star Wars, in fact, as it went on, uh, toy manufacturers <clears throat> cooperated with uh, film production uh, in order to find uh, shots within the movie that would be most effective in selling particular toys. Uh, so... Is that what George Lucas had in mind originally? Uh, you mentioned, though, that with the extension of the franchise over a generation now, that Lucas's vision contracted. And, and I'm not even sure the degree to which he still exercises any creative control. But talk to me about the shrinking of the vision. Well, the prequel films uh, have gotten uh, have been very controversial with fans, and for good reason. They're not nearly as good as the original trilogy. Um, they do represent a vision that Lucas is trying to continue to advance his mythology and to create something new, which I think we don't see even that in, in the latest films from Disney. But what happens as Lucas fleshes out his universe is that you, you run more and more into the problem of the fact that you, you aren't dealing with someone like J.R.R. Tolkien, who's really capable of conceiving an integrated uh, history and a world uh, and, and really fleshing that out. Lucas had the ability to kind of sketch a world like that, but the more he tries to fill in the cracks, the more problems appear. You run into 
uh, what I call shrinking world syndrome, which mm. is that as a mythology expands paradoxically, the universe becomes smaller and smaller because everything becomes tied together. You know, it becomes impossible to watch the original films now if you've become very familiar with the prequels and think, okay, so, you know, here's Darth Vader and there's C-3PO. He built him when he was a little kid. Yes, you know? yes. Um, every, every, it, the, the story becomes more and more the saga of one family, and that is, that's a problem. Um, also, where the original films had a kind of a fairy tale, mythic appeal that even young children can understand, and I was powerfully impressed by that, showing the original Star Wars to my son when he was four years old, how mm -hmm. easily I could explain the plot to him mm -hmm. as we watched it. You know, with Star Wars Episode One, you can't even get past the opening crawl <laughs> trying to explain it. The taxation of trade routes is in dispute, and the greedy trade federation has put up a blockade. Yes. What's the kid supposed to make of that? <laughs> the politics gets increasingly complicated. Yeah. Right? No. That's a good That's a very good point. Uh, and there was something uh, especially magical about the, the original trilogy. Uh, why, I mean, he must have been anticipating prequels because you know, the first Star Wars that was released was, of course, number four. And uh, was he really thinking ahead that far? Yes and no. Uh, when Star Wars was first released in 1977, that episode four business was not part of the original titles. That was added later Really, uh, when he began to conceive. I mean, he certainly had an idea for a larger saga. I believe that some version of the original trilogy was his original script, although things like Darth Vader being Luke Skywalker's father, that was not in view when Star Wars was released in 1977. And again, in 1980, when Luke and Leia are, are kissing in the med bay, George Lucas was not planning on making them brother and sister. So there's a certain... Uh, we, we call that in um, in fandom, this is called retconning, retroactive continuity, where you reinterpret the past. And, you know, that can work to an extent, but of course it also creates problems mm -hmm. when you run into things like you decide that Amidala dies practically in childbirth after only having given birth to her infant twins, Luke and Leia, and yet... Luke says as an adult that he never knew his mother, but Leia has dim memories of her. So yes. originally she was supposed to have lived longer. Yeah, yeah. This is the kind of problem that you run into the more you expand it. <laughs> That's fascinating. Um, are the Jedi uh, truly role models of moral virtue? I think you have to ask which Jedi and which interpretation and which part of the series. Yeah, okay. When Lucas first created the Jedi, I think he was influenced primarily by two things. Um, there's a little bit of Franciscan in them, which is why they wear brown robes. Mm -hmm. And you get the emphasis on, um, on, on peace over, over war um, and other, other aspects of what was popular about uh, Franciscan spirituality, uh, particularly in, in the 60s and mm -hmm. 70s. Right. And then you also have the kind of Eastern warrior monk, the wuxia warrior, or the, the samurai. That's also part of, of the Jedi um, a mythos. And I think that Star Wars comes closest to articulating a Jedi philosophy that's really powerful when we meet Yoda in Episode 5, The Empire Strikes Back, as the franchise goes on into the prequels, I think the portrayal of the Jedi becomes more Zen-like. Yoda becomes more 
all emphasis on detachment and not even in, in episode three, he talks about not even mourning the dead, which is a very austere kind of Buddhist level of detachment that's very contradictory to Christian detachment. You know, Jesus tells us on the one hand, let the dead bury their dead, come and follow me. But he also says, blessed are those who mourn. Yeah. He doesn't say yeah. blessed are those who are so detached that they don't even mourn. Yeah. No, very good. Uh, I I see that, and this is part of the this is part of the uh, problem with offering any definitive interpretation of the Star Wars phenomenon. The, these these it changes. There, yes. it, it changes as time goes on. So the Jedi's become more of, uh, again, as you point out, samurai warrior figures. Uh, is that because he was interested more in Eastern thought as he went on? Um. I think that it's simply a result of starting out with a vision that's sort of impressionistic and then having to fill in the blanks as yeah. you go along. Okay. Um, he, the one thing you have to give Lucas credit for is that he was always changing and reinterpreting and being restlessly creative. What Disney's trying to give us now in the new films <laughs> is carefully curated nostalgia. These films feel much closer to the original trilogy than the prequel films. Right, did, I noticed but that. They, yeah, and, and, and as a fan, I respond to that. I appreciate that. I feel in a certain sense like I'm going home. Yeah. But at the end of the day, they also don't offer anything new. They don't, there are no surprises in these films. This is material that's all been uh, thought out in, uh, in fan fiction, in other forms, for, for many, many years. And they're, they're giving us what we want but not giving us something that, like George Lucas in 1977, um, they were dying to share with the world. Yeah. Uh, some people have objected that the Jedi mind tricks uh, fundamentally dishonest, that there's uh, lying and mental reservations that are made regularly here. Uh, how seriously should a Catholic take those objections? In my, uh, at my website, Decent Films, uh, among many other articles on... Star Wars, its philosophy, its cultural significance, um, and, and moral issues around it. Um, there is an article that some readers might like to check out by Jimmy Aiken oh, yeah. uh, on moral and spiritual issues uh, in the Star Wars films. And, and he discusses this very issue. It's, it's not a non-issue um, in Jimmy's judgment, but it's not a very serious issue either. Um, you can certainly finesse it in terms of Catholic uh, moral principles when you consider, for instance, um, the interpretation of, of a, a fundamental or a, a, an authentic human act put forward by moral theologians like Germain Griset in his work, um, The Way of the Lord Jesus, that, mm -hmm. that an authentic human act represents a firm decision when you're unable to respond to a situation in an automatic way, which is the way that we really do most of the things that we do in life. So when Jedi tricks can only work on the weak-minded, another way of understanding that is when you haven't made a moral act, when you haven't chosen with your will and you're just kind of passively going through the situation. So it's not necessarily overriding someone's autonomy. Um, and you'll also notice that they'll never do it in a situation where it involves putting someone's life at risk. That's why it's so important in Return of the Jedi that um, uh, C-3PO tells the Ewoks the story of the war of the rebellion against the Empire so that they understand what they're doing and what, it, what the stakes are when they go to war against the Empire. Uh, we've got about three minutes left here, Stephen. 
is this a great American mythology? I think I, I have to answer that question, yes, but with an asterisk. Okay. Um, I think its impact and its the importance that it occupies in the hearts and minds of so many Americans, including uh, many good and strong and faithful Catholics who also love great Catholic works of art like the Lord of the Rings attests that there is much here to be loved. That doesn't mean that there aren't also serious flaws and limitations, and we can acknowledge that um, in the way that C.S. Lewis, for instance, loved the mythologies of Ryder Haggard uh, yeah. <laughs> without, right. without, not, without denying the artistic limitations. Mm -hmm. um, is this... You expect that this, there's no indication that this is uh, disappearing uh, right away. Uh, films are going to continue to come out. Uh, but you've mentioned the vision has been constricted a bit. Does that mean the magic will disappear? I think that when we go to the new Star Wars films, increasingly people with their eyes open will recognize that we're revisiting a powerful mythology that means a great deal to us, but that we aren't getting, we aren't really getting any more of it. I think that what Star Wars has to give, the world has been given. I don't think that that fundamental gift is going to change, but we will continue to go back to it again and again in stories that may be more or less enjoyable. Um, but it's, it's, it's not like, you know, uh, getting a new volume of, of Tolkien's Unfinished Tales or something like that. Right. Uh, back to Lucas and his intentions. Some people have speculated that he was actually taking uh, the creation of a new mythology very seriously because he assumed that Christianity was waning. Uh, any thoughts on that? I, I don't think that there's a Christianity waning a angle here. I do think that he's trying to offer people another way of thinking about God, uh, and, and it's a metaphorical way. He doesn't necessarily mean to tell us what God is like, but in offering us the force, he means to ask us to think about the mystery of existence and the mystery of the universe and what God means to us. Stephen, once again, thanks for being with us. Great job. And uh, again, decentfilms.com, where you can take a look at all the work that Stephen's doing. Take it easy. Thanks so much, Al. Stephen Gradanis commenting on the cultural significance of Star Wars. <laughs>